This conversation is not intended to give you the roadmap to go out and build your legacy plan. What it is intended to do is give you some ideas, uh, spur the thought of the necessity of a legacy plan, and then let's stop procrastinating because you just never know when. And, and the beautiful part about the legacy plan is once you create it, once you create your plan, there's not a lot of adjustments that need to be made, certainly not year over year. Welcome to Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to and through retirement. Today is the day. Procrastinate no more. This is the day that you start your legacy plan, or at least we're hoping that what we talk about on this podcast today gets you started thinking about your legacy plan, or maybe even updating your legacy plan if you put one in place several years ago. So what we want to cover today is basically legacy planning 101. We're going to talk about the terms. We're going to define things. We're also going to talk about action steps that you can take to get your legacy planning going. And I'm going to do it with Rochelle Smith. She's the producer of this podcast and Lauren Merkel. He's a certified financial planner and a certified financial fiduciary. Rochelle is a certified procrastinator. She, she admitted yes. it before we got started here. Yep. She said, I am in the camp. I am in the procrastination camp. Rochelle, tell us about this procrastination that you, uh, kind of this, this umbrella you live under. I mean, I always do my best work when I procrastinate something, push it off to the last moment. I have to clean my desk. Yesterday I cleaned off some dust while avoiding doing something. <laughs> <laughs> um, psychologists would say that that is avoidance. I looked up some stuff about procrastination Ooh. today, guys. Yeah, consider yeah, me a, um, a, a doctor there. of psychology for about uh, 30 seconds here based on a little bit of Googling. Aren't we all experts after we've Googled a subject? Well, it's of course. Yeah. So I'm, for the next, you know, few minutes, an expert on procrastination. So Psychology Today article talked about the five most common reasons that people procrastinate and uh, one of them, Rochelle, is anxiety, and they say avoidance is a way to cope with the fear of failure. Oh, so you yep. find other things to do so that you're not doing the thing that you should do because you're a bit of a, maybe a perfectionist and you can't do it kind of the way you want to do it, so you'll do something else. Well, yep. Uh, my greatest fear in life is failure, so that would make sense. And that would be something I think psychologists would say that a lot of people who procrastinate are in that camp. Mm-hmm. Mr. Merkel, where do you stand on procrastination? Is it something that you that you do? Well, yeah, from time to time, I think everybody does, don't they? And right now, I'm procrastinating seriously about getting back to working out. And, you know, it's nice to use COVID as an excuse. Can't go to the gym. But I could still work out if I really wanted to. Sure, sure. You could, you <laughs> I could, could go for a run outside. Sure. Lots of things you can do at home. That seems exactly. cold. Why do we want to do that? <laughs> I'd much rather stay in bed. Exactly. <laughs> so you're procrastinating working out. So everyone, yeah, procrastinates thing. I guess I told you guys going into this, I can't think of things I procrastinate. Because like Rochelle, I'll tell you that I, what I like to say to the person I live with, otherwise known as my husband, is today I made the choice to experience life instead of organize this or organize that or clean out that closet or do all those other things that I guess I think household types of things. The kids and I decided to experience life. You know, we got the markers out instead. Or that's that's that, how that's I. That's a really good one. <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 I got to use that one. Yeah, that's kind of too the busy m- experiencing life. 
to do laundry. That's the marketer in me. So like, you know, the, the background in like sort of um, storytelling and marketing things. I'm, I'm marketing experiences in my household, not tidiness or neatness or yes. or organization because we're living life. Living life to the fullest. <laughs> but definitely procrastinating like the closet I open every time and go, oh, if I just took an hour to organize that thing. But that is no fun. So it's not really fun to talk about legacy planning either. And I think it's probably one of the biggest reasons that people procrastinate it. You know, if we talk about, again, the most five most common reasons that people procrastinate, unpleasant tasks is one of the things that uh, this article that I looked at uh, point to. You, sh- you want to shift your focus from long-term goals. It's easier to complete short-term goals, dusting your desk, as opposed to looking at, oh, I don't know, like redoing the entire Merkle retirement planning website. <laughs> What? <laughs> Which is on your list of things to do that I, that you might have admitted to procrastinating on just a little yep, bit. Sure did. And if we think about this in the structure of legacy planning, another reason that people procrastinate is the absence of structure. So Lauren, that's the neat thing about what we do at Merkel Retirement Planning, because if you are the person who's doing the legacy plan, what, how would you know the structure? It's not what you do for a living. It's something you're going to do once, maybe twice, a few times, revisit it. But at Merkle Retirement Planning, we've put a structure around legacy planning that can really help people, you know, make that, uh, make it a lot easier to stop procrastinating. We have put a structure around it. And part of the reason we have done that is, is to help people incorporate a legacy plan within their overall retirement plan of the things that you looked up from the psychologist. I think there's probably three real things. One is lack of structure. Where do you start? You, you, you have these goals, you have these ambitions, but when we talk about legacy planning, that just seems so broad. It seems like there's a lot of moving parts. Maybe you started a, or created a will 20 years ago when your kids were much younger, maybe even minors, but you haven't really thought about it much since then. And the process of going through that is not a lot of fun. This is where, this is where, uh, the anxiety comes into play because this is not a fun topic to talk about. If you're married, do you really want to talk to your spouse about what happens if I pass and where should the money go? And this is what you should be doing with this. And here's the legal documents that, that, uh, that you need in order to help establish those wishes and fulfill those wishes. And then you have to deal with legal professionals, right? You have to find an attorney or a retirement planner that you trust and you feel good about, and you have to convey your wishes to these people. And that's not a fun process for many people either. Um, and you have to make a lot of decisions and making important decisions, important, oftentimes permanent decisions, that is not a lot of fun to do either. So it's extremely easy to procrastinate for people when we're talking about their legacy plan. And another one of the things that psychologists point to as a common reason that people procrastinate is timing. You know, they, they, they can find a reason to say, today's not the day I start on this. Today's, I don't need to start working out today. I can put it off. Well, putting it off a day, as we all know, all of a sudden a year goes by and you haven't done whatever that thing is. Yeah, we see that all the time. And part of, part of our conversations that we are proactive with, engaging with the families that we work with, is what do you want to have happen when you are gone? And then we set up the beneficiaries. We do all that stuff that, for us, we can facilitate and easily do for our families. But the things that we need them to do, like update their will, uh, contact the estate planning attorney to get the health care directives and the, the uh, fi- financial power of attorneys and, and the living will, all that kind of stuff getting done, that's stuff that that we hear excuses on all the time. They say, yes, I know I need to do this. This is important to us. And then six months later, we get back together. And guess what? 
they have not contacted the attorney. <laughs> they have not started on this. And there's always a reason why they haven't done that. So it's, it's human nature. There's procrastination in each and every one of us. And usually it takes an event or a, a serious uh, piece of motivation to get people to do this kind of stuff. So maybe they've seen their parents go through, their parents have passed and they saw how their estate was not handled. There wasn't a real legacy plan in place and it was really messy for them to untangle the the legacy mess that their parents left them. Maybe their sibling had passed. You know, that we all go through this level or time frame in our life where we feel invincible and we f don't feel like tomorrow could be the last day or next year could be the last year until you actually go through some experiences, then you realize we really are human and there's going to be a day that all of us are gone. And now it's a matter of getting everything in order to make sure that our legacy plan is fulfilled in the best way possible. And one of the reasons people procrastinate too, according to psychologists, and we'll link this article in our show notes, is self-confidence. The doubts about the ability to complete the task. So what we want to do today is is help give you confidence because one way that you can feel confident in anything you do, I think, is by knowing and educating yourself. So what we want to do today in this kind of legacy planning 101 is just go through some of the things you should be thinking about, kind of educate you on the options and the terminology. Because again, it does, it's a little overwhelming. Lawyers do not speak or at least write the same way that we do. Retirement planners use different language than 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 we do if we're not in the industry. So Part of us giving you confidence, we feel, is educating you on the things you need to know. So let's get into it, Lauren. First, one of the things people talk about are taxes when it comes to legacy planning. We've just had a presidential election. Tax is a big part of electing a president, and, and people feel strongly about their tax reforms. Estate versus inheritance tax, what do people need to know? Yeah, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the types of taxes that could take place when somebody passes away. And two of the most confusing are the estate tax, uh, also called the death tax. You might hear that a lot in the media or as you're having casual conversations with your friends and family about <laughs> death taxes and then inheritance tax. So in, in the, the other thing that's confusing is that the state law does dictate inheritance tax. Federal law dictate, dictates the estate tax and then state and then, and then there could be some state uh, state estate taxes as well, just to make it that much simpler. <laughs> state it's state not, it's, taxes. It's even hard to say. Yeah, ten times. Let, let alone interpret and, and see how these laws <laughs> apply to you in a meaningful way. So let's just break it down a little bit. The inheritance tax uh, in the state of Iowa. So if you live in a different state, check out your own uh, state laws. But in the state of Iowa, as long as you are, uh, it, as long as the money passes linearly then there is no inheritance tax. Meaning if if uh, we have Mr. and Mrs. Jones, they have three kids, Mr. and Mrs. Jones pass away, and their assets, their money goes to the three kids, there is no inheritance tax because they are uh, a linear uh, descent. If uh, they leave it to their cousins, if they leave it to their siblings, if they leave it to their parent, or even, even parents are okay, if they leave it to uh, aunts and uncles, then there is an inheritance tax applied to those assets that go uh, in a nonlinear fashion. So inheritance tax can come into play for some people. It may not come into play at all for others. And is this any level or is this over a certain amount? Of the, money. The inheritance tax is, there is a, it is over a certain amount, but the amount is very small. Okay. So it applies to most, like, most people plans. it's going to apply to. 
is inheritance tax kind of an inevitable thing or is there some advanced planning that can be due to sort of mitigate the the inheritance tax? There is some advanced planning that can be done. Uh, a lot of that plan is going to be dependent upon or the level of tax assessed is going to be dependent upon who you leave your assets to. So if you do leave it to a cousin, there's very little that you can do to mitigate that inheritance tax. If you leave it to your kids, your grandkids, then you're going to bypass that inheritance tax pretty simply. Okay, so estate tax, what's the difference then? Well, estate tax, the one we're talking, there is no estate tax in Iowa. So what we're going to talk about here is that federal estate tax. And this changes significantly. The most recent change is it almost doubled. And what that means is there's an estate tax exclusion. And there's a life, it's a lifetime exclusion. So right now, if you're single, you can have in excess of $11 million of estate value. So that's your house, that's your collectibles, it's your vehicles, it's your IRA money, it's your investment savings, checking, it's all of that goes into your estate value. You can have just over $11 million and not have to pay, your estate would not have to pay an estate tax. If you were married, then your estate value could be just under $23 million and your estate would not have to pay an estate tax. If the estate value is in excess of 11 or 20, 22 million or, or over 23 million if you're married, if it's over that value, now there's an estate tax assessed to the value of the estate over that level. So if you have a 50, if you're married and you have a $50 million estate, then you're, there's going to be a state tax somewhere around that 40% level that's going to be assessed to the excess over that $23 million. Now that has changed. So a couple years ago, it was cut in half. So it was about five, five and a half million for single and it was about 11 million for married. And if we go back a couple decades, it was as low as a million dollars. Which now we're talking about a number that affects a lot more people the lower we go, obviously. Yeah, especially when you get into rural America where this farmland, this legacy farmland that has been passed on for generation after generation after generation that now could be assessed in the millions of dollars. You pass away, now it's over that million dollar threshold and the kids, even, even if you leave it to your kids, pass it on to the next generation. If they don't have the cash to pay that estate tax, then a lot of times what happens, they are forced to sell that generational farmland to come up with the cash to pay that estate tax. So that's one of the big concerns as these estate laws do, uh, estate laws do change. Yeah, the million dollars affected a whole lot more people. Now at the 11 and 22 million, it doesn't affect as many, but legislation could be passed and it has been talked about uh, changing that back down more to that five to 11 million, which still wouldn't, wouldn't affect the vast majority of Americans, but it would affect a lot, especially when it comes to property like farmland. Okay. So we're defining terms today, but then we also don't just want to define terms. We want to tell people, you know, here's maybe what you could do or what you can consider. If you think you could be affected, what should you do? Well, you, you, need, you need to, whether you're going to be impacted by inheritance tax or uh, death taxes or even income taxes, because income taxes is that third level of taxes that can be applied once you pass to your assets. If you're going to be impacted by any of that, there is planning that you can do. Uh, but even if you're not going to be impacted, a legacy plan is important because it's all about your wishes. What do you want to have happen? And how do you make sure that that does happen when you're no longer here to oversee that? And that's what these legal documents are there for.
Um, if you want to try to mitigate the impact of inheritance tax, mitigate the impact of the estate tax, then you can incorporate some trusts into your legacy plan. And there is a whole host of different types of trust that you can incorporate. So that is where a retirement planning professional, uh, an estate planning uh, uh, attorney, is necessary to have on your team to make sure it's a very well-coordinated plan to make sure not only your wishes are fulfilled, but it transfers in the most efficient way possible to whomever you want that money to go to. And that leads us into some more terms that I think we should define and break down, which are wills and trusts, the difference between the two and who's a candidate for each. Yep. So the will, the will is probably the most well-known. Many, many people have a will, although many, many people have an outdated will, but they at least understand what that does. Now, one of the misconceptions of the will is many people feel as if their assets pass to their beneficiaries through the will that it bypasses probate. Now, probate, what that is, and, and again, these, these uh, state laws can vary what we're talking about here. We're talking about the state of Iowa. What the probate does is it makes it's a legal process to make sure your wishes are fulfilled. So that by itself is a good thing. So you put your will in place and it designates you want uh, you want your guardian for your minor children to be these people. It says uh, you want your vehicles to go to these people. You want your house to go to these people. You want this to go to this charity. It designates everything that you want to have happen to the assets that you have. But that process then uh, in the state of Iowa, if you're probatable estate, meaning if you're a state that goes through the will process or if you pass intestate, which means you don't have a will, if your probatable estate is in excess of 50000 then your estate is legally mandated to hire an attorney. And you're going through the probate, which is the court process, to make sure that your wishes are fulfilled. So that, on the surface, is a good thing. It's, it's a, uh, it, it takes more time to go through this process because you have to have two public filings, two public notices that let everybody know what was in your estate. And then creditors can attach their, their claims to your estate. Uh, so in the state of Iowa, the minimum time frame to, to uh, get through the will process, the probate process, is six months. But oftentimes it can take 12 months, 18 months or more. And then the attorneys can charge up to 2% and then court costs, other filing fees and all the other stuff could add up to about 1%. So think about a 3% cost on any of your probatable assets. So the will can be good. You need to have a will in most cases. The most important part of having a will is if you have minor children because then you can specifically identify who you want to be the guardians of your minor children. Does the will also have directives about end of life as far as uh, just like if you'd rather be buried or cremated or how that, that should go? Great question. In this context, we've been talking about the last will, which is your last uh, uh, last wishes. Uh, the living will will give you an will give people an idea is if you become incapacitated, here's how you want that to be handled. And then you also need to have financial power of attorney. If you become incapacitated, here's who you trust. And there's legal documents that give uh, these individuals or this individual the power to make financial decisions on your behalf. And then the healthcare directives, which is the healthcare power of attorney. And sometimes these are the same people, but sometimes people split that up. So there's somebody in their family who's very savvy with money. They'll make give them the financial power of attorney. Uh, but maybe they have somebody in their family who's very savvy on the medical side. And then they will make them the healthcare power of attorney who is in charge then of making healthcare decisions in the event that you become incapacitated. So all of that is usually done in conjunction with the last will. So if you're going through this legacy planning process, 
And you're going to go through the the work, the effort to find an attorney that you trust and you want to put this together at the same time. Produce the the living will, produce the last will, produce the health care power of attorney, produce the financial power of attorney, and then decide whether or not it makes sense for you to have a trust. Because if you have a trust, then the will is going to work in conjunction with that trust. We call that the pour over will, which basically is going to capture everything that the trust doesn't or can't capture. As an example, your trust cannot identify who you want to be guardian of your minor children. That has to be done in the will document. The trust could be a valuable uh, document or a state planning tool to use to help bypass probate. So as an example, let's say you have a house. Your house uh, is valued at $500,000. If you develop a trust, a revocable living trust, revocable means you can change it down the road. You still maintain uh, control over the trust and you can make adjustments at any time you want to. So if you if you create a revocable living trust and you title, retitle the house from your name to this trust, now you pass away, then that, that house should bypass probate and should avoid those probate expenses and the inefficiencies of transferring through the court process. So there's multiple reasons and multiple types of trusts that you could create. It's all a matter of what are you trying to accomplish? Is it probate avoidance or is it control over the assets to make sure that uh, Mr. And Mrs. for Mr. and Mrs. Jones to make sure that their son Johnny, who's 23, doesn't receive a $2 million estate and then go out and blow it, right? If you want to put control over it, you can do that within the trust. Or if you're looking to mitigate the impact of inheritance taxes or mitigate the impact of the estate tax. Now, that's a whole different type of trust and trust language that needs to be incorporated within the plan. So it's a matter of what do you want to accomplish? What assets do you have? And then the plan should uh, be constructed based around those items. And one of the reasons people procrastinate is the absence of structure. So if you're listening right now and that was all kind of a lot to take in, that's okay. It's just giving you an idea of the things to think about. The good news is attorneys and retirement planners who specialize in this will ask you the right questions to get you to that thing. Because I'm just thinking about like, if I'm coming in for a meeting, I'm not going to go, Lauren, I know that I need an irrevocable trust with a wake-up will or... I mean, most people don't come in knowing the terms. You help them get to the terms by asking questions about what their retirement goals are. If they come in knowing exactly what they want and they start tossing around irrevocable trusts with uh, with the pour over will and that kind of stuff, uh, I'm going to be like, what do you need me, what do you need me for? Do you, right. have a, do you have an attorney? They're probably you already an attorney. know what you yeah. want and now it's a matter of just getting it done. So the, these conversations should be led by your retirement planner. And the, the conversation kind of goes like this, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, where would you want these assets to go in the event that you pass? Where would you want these assets to go, Mr. Jones, in the event that you pass prior to Mrs. Jones and vice versa? And th those conversations are or should be led by the professionals because professionals know what to ask and what kind of information is important in constructing that type of plan. That should not be led by you. Uh, now, you might have to instigate that conversation because that doesn't always take place. Um, but if you're finding yourself in a conversation with your professional, and number one, you have to instigate it, it's not a good, it's not really a good sign. 
Um, but if you have to, if it's like pulling teeth for your professional, then you should probably start looking somewhere else. And then just think of the weight that could be lifted off your shoulders once you do have a plan in place and you can go out and, and worry about a lot of other things or, or focus on other things. Yeah. You know, those things that you procrastinate about Rochelle, that, that MRP website, <laughs> <laughs> once that is done, the weight that is off your shoulders, the anxiety level just, just comes down and you feel so good and so accomplished about it that, you know, it's better just to go forward full steam, get it done. And then you don't have to worry about it anymore. I feel like he's telling me. I think you need to get it done. That was like a pep talk. You want to know what though? You could come over and help me clean out closets. Okay. All right. We'll put the music on. We'll pour some wine. I'm telling you. It'll be great. It'll be a lot more fun. And then, and then right after that, you can both work on the website. Again, closets. I've got lots of them. <laughs> Let's get back to Legacy Planning 101 with the goal of educating you, helping you feel more confident as you develop your legacy plan. Let's talk about an action step people could literally take right after listening to this podcast, Lauren. Review your beneficiaries and your list of uh, contingents. Yeah, review the beneficiaries. This is really important. The beneficiary designations or how you title your accounts is an important and probably one of the most powerful and easiest to implement legacy planning ideas. So your 401k plan, your IRAs, uh, make sure you have a primary beneficiary on them. If you're married and you want that money to go to your spouse, make sure your spouse is listed. Uh, one of the, one of the mistakes that takes place quite a bit actually is with 401k plans because your employer is almost legally encouraged to shop around different custodians. So if you're if your current 401k plan is with a company like Vanguard or Fidelity or T Rowe Price, the employer needs to do their due diligence to shop around cost and structure of other custodians. So we are seeing employers change their plans from let's say a Vanguard to a Fidelity or they're they're making custodial changes. Now a lot of times what happens is your beneficiary does not come over to the new plan. It should come over. And in many cases it does, but where we see mistakes is it doesn't and you don't catch it and you don't make sure that your spouse is listed as primary beneficiary. That creates a new whole host of issues that, that you don't want your spouse to be left with if you were to pass. Um, so make sure the beneficiaries are listed, even even with even if they're already listed or you feel like they're listed, double check them, make sure it's what you want it to say um, and make sure you have contingents. So if you're married make sure, and you want your spouse to be primary and you have kids and you want that money to go to your kids or your siblings or your uncles or whoever it is, make sure they are listed because the transfer of those assets is much more efficient and then should bypass probate as well because it's direct through beneficiary designation. And I kind of think of this too as a way for your spouse who's already grieving when you're gone, you know, just one less thing that they have to worry about if all of this stuff is set up ahead of time. Yeah, there was a couple of years ago, I met a gentleman and uh, his story was just heart-wrenching. Number one, his spouse passed and that's trouble enough. But when I met him, his spouse had passed three months prior and she had two different 401k plans, about $500,000 each. And three months later, when him and I are talking, he still did not have control over that money because he had to work through the custodian and the, the plan documents uh, because the beneficiary designation, he was not listed. He was not listed on either one of those accounts. And it just makes it that much harder. Think about not only losing your spouse, your lifelong friend and partner, but she had a million dollars that was theirs. And now he's still trying to fight it three months later to gain access to this money that he should have had access to right away. And I know here at Merkel Retirement Planning, when someone it does lose a spouse, we're often one of the 
you know, early calls that they make to turn on the plan that's already in place to get the assets where they need to be. Yes, each one of our families has a legacy plan. And unfortunately, this is something that we have to help uh, beneficiaries implement or execute every single year. Um, it's just the nature of our the clientele that we work with, their pre-retiree or retiree age. Um, and it is our job, part of our job, to help beneficiaries execute the legacy plan for, for our families. And that's one of the promises we make is we put this plan in place. And if something happens to you, we want to make sure that this plan is fulfilled uh, just as you wanted it to be. And it's that kind of peace of mind that a, that a plan can give people. So we know that the plan that you need, the legacy that you want to fulfill is unique to you. So a great opportunity to talk about your unique situation, no matter where you live. A lot of what we talk about were Iowa specific laws today, but the retirement planners here at Merkel Retirement Planning can work with the laws and the attorneys in any state in our country. So if you want to talk about your legacy plan or any part of your retirement plan, give us a call. We've got a great opportunity. It's our 15 minute retirement checkup call. Go to MerkelPlan.com, that's M-E-R-K-L-E Plan.com, and right there you'll get on the calendar of the retirement planners here at Merkel Retirement Planning, and you can schedule a call. You can also continue to listen to this podcast where we work to guide you to and through retirement. It's called Retiring Today, and we thank you for listening. Merkel Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC. Yeah, you might be working with someone who specializes more in the accumulation years and not in the retirement planning years, which is, again, the process that we've put in place here. And I took a deep breath. <laughs> so if you're listening and you are... And you won't understand nothing that we just talked about. Well, that was a lot of terms that I was starting to wander <laughs> off myself. So that <laughs> You should just schedule a meeting. <laughs> the sound of Lauren's voice puts you to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, I'm it's okay. <laughs> I'm feeling like it's a little melancholy today. I know. Yeah, well, it is legacy planning.